Welcome to episode number 221. In today's episode, we are going to be diving into a homestead journey that takes us from off-grid living without power or running water to their present day where they are more on-grid but still do a lot of off-grid living and how we can gather some tips that are going to help us, especially as we go through these winter months and many of us will experience power outages that will give us a taste of off-grid living, whether or not we want it all the time. And then we're going to end with one of my favorite topics, and that is organic gardening and tips that are going to help you grow more of your own food. If you are a new listener, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. And if you are a regular listener, well, welcome back. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, which will be launching January 7th of 2020. So really just a few short weeks away. I'm also the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy and the website melissaknorris.com, where we give you tips on living homegrown and handmade with modern homesteading to raise, cook, and preserve your own organic food no matter where you live. I am thrilled to have as our guest on today's episode of the show, Jackie Marie Beyer. She and her husband, Mike, have been homesteading together in Northwest Montana for over 25 years. And the first six years, they went without electricity or running water. Their goal is to grow as much of their own organic produce as they can and someday possibly become market farmers. But in the meantime, Jackie has launched the Organic Gardener podcast five years ago where she has been interviewing backyard gardeners, market farmers, and nutrition and sustainable agricultural experts from around the world so that she can learn and share with others as she's learning the best techniques to grow the most nutritious food in the easiest manner. And she's going to give us some of the best things that she has gleaned during that process in today's episode. And I have to tell you, at the time of this recording, over the past 10 days, We have lost power unexpectedly three different times, which is we normally will lose power during the winter, especially during expected storms and that such. But only one of these was from a forecasted storm. The other two, one was my little brother actually was falling, (laughs) falling a tree and the tree ended up hitting the power line, kind of bounced off of it, but it was enough to put it out and short it out. And then I don't know why we lost power on one of the other ones. It was out for about three hours, which is very, very short for us. Usually our power is out for much longer. But the reason I share that with you is because when the power is out, I don't have a way to cook other than on my wood stove. And we do a lot of outdoor cooking. But when the weather is really nasty and wet, it's actually pretty hard to use an outdoor fire to cook with in the Dutch oven because the wet, of course, is going to want to put out your flames and your coals unless you have a protected area. So I'm used to doing soups and stews and warming things up and boiling and frying things on our wood stove, but I've never been able to successfully bake on top of our wood stove. And so I was thrilled when Jackie shared her secret with us on the podcast. So without further ado, let's jump straight in to this episode because there are some amazing tips. Hey guys, well, I am super excited to have Jackie on the podcast today because I'm really excited to pick your brain about a couple of items in particular. So Jackie, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for having me here. And I'm such a big fan. I've learned so much from you and it's just a little nerve wracking to be on the other side of the mic, but I'm just excited to share with your audience because it's always nice. Like you said, you love podcasting to talk to other people that have similar thoughts and ideas and, you know, life goals. Yeah, I'm super excited. Don't be nervous. I've been the same way. I've gotten to be on a couple of podcasts with people that I'm like, I can't believe I'm talking to them. And we're all just people like sharing information and things that we're passionate about and trying to help other people. So please don't feel nervous, but I've been totally where you are. And I know I hopefully I'll get to be in that spot, spot again someday because it's really fun to get to connect like on, in a 
personal level, like where you actually get to talk to people that you've listened to and read their stuff. And so it's really fun to kind of bring it to a, a, a more of a community level where you get to interact with them. So thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me today. Yeah. So one of the things that I really love about your story is, so you and your husband live in Northwest Montana and you've been there for over 25 years. And for six years while you were in Montana, and this is one of the things that I'm excited to talk to you about, is you guys lived without power or running water during those six years. And what was your main form of cooking without the power did you guys because in montana it's pretty cold obviously most people know that montana is pretty cold especially northwest montana um so really curious about how you guys did your heat um and your cooking and all that kind of stuff without having any of the power or the running water so um well we uh so we would have like a generator we had two solar panels that would run so the biggest tip I tell people is you'd be surprised how much stuff is made for boats. And so we would get like these lights. There just happened to be this guy in our neck of the woods that sold these Alpenglow boat lights. And so we had those hooked up to the solar panels. And then we had this awesome CD player and tape deck that came out of like a car stereo with really nice. We actually had better sound then because we had really nice speakers hooked up to a car stereo. Um, so that worked really good for that. I cooked almost everything we eat either on the wood stove or we did have a propane stove. And I do tell people a lot, if I was ever going to go back and do it all over again, because there are many days where I wish I could go back and do it all over again. Um, I would never live one without water on our property. Like when we were in that situation, we had to haul water always, all of our water, drinking water, dishwater, um, shower water, you know, we obviously went to the laundromat back then. Although people do have ringer washers, I guess people always told me, they're like, you should get one of those. But I never stumbled across one. But the big secrets were my husband, we always had drains. So like, even though I had to haul the water into the kitchen sink to do the dishes, the drain was hooked up. So it went out into, um, which would eventually be our, where our septic system was. And then like the bathroom had a drain. So that went somewhere. And then we actually still use our outhouse. Like after I think you have an outhouse for a long time, the thought of going to the bathroom in your house, I don't know. It just, I just, I love my outhouse. My mom thinks I'm crazy, but like even on the coldest mornings, it's like you, it's like your first chance to go outside and look at the stars and just, I don't know. It just, it works for me. I'm not the biggest fan of going to visit other people's outhouses, but I don't mind ours. <laughs> I know my stepkids hated it when they lived with us because that was back before we had running water and probably would have been tough on me if I was a teenager, but I still feel like the payoffs were worth it. And so um, let's see. So we would boil and we still pretty much boil our water before we do the dishes and we just do like one big batch of dishes a day. We don't, There's no wasting water because we have our first well that we dug was like um, only 19 feet deep so it was a shallow well so like even after we put that in it wasn't until 2013 i think we dug um a deep well which is 560 feet deep and i will probably pay for that until the day i die for <laughs> twenty thousand dollars to like and the worst part was like we dug the well and we thought it was only gonna be 270 feet so we didn't have enough money to pay even off the well guy and then we had the hole in the ground for two years before we could finally oh. pay him off and pay the $2,500 to hook the pump up. So that was kind of a deal, but I, you know, you just, you kind of get used to systems. Like you, like I said, like we still boil our water and then heat it and mix it with like some cooler water because the well that hooks up to the house is still the shallow well. And so there's still just not that much water there. And then the full well um, water's like what I call my husband has like a mini farm, which is like, I don't know, between a quarter of an acre and a third of an acre. And it does that and the orchard and outdoors. And sometimes we even bring that water, like the water pressure in the sink, in the kitchen sink is just so low that it's easier just to go outside to the spigot and actually fill the jugs up with water out there just because we haven't had the money to connect the new well to the house. Is that a long story short? But anyway, so those are some, but oh, 
I always tell people, so that was the one, I would never buy a property that doesn't have water on it, that like at least we can go out to our spigot. And the other one is I wouldn't live without a propane fridge. The first year we lived out of coolers and that was just enough for me. So we always had a propane fridge and a propane stove, but we have a fire pretty much like the middle of July to the middle of August. We don't have a fire, but we'll have a fire on our wood stove most of the other days. And I can cook a lot of stuff on a wood stove. Okay. Well, I'm really excited that you're bringing up the wood stove because I want to, I do some cooking on the wood stove, but I do have some questions for you and more, mine is more with the wood stove. Ours is not like a, a wood cook stove. Like, you know, you see where it has like the oven, like my parents actually have the house that they bought when I was a teenager had it's half electric and half wood it's like i don't even know if it's 40s or 50s it's a but it's working and so you have burners and then you can turn on the oven on one side from electricity but then on the other side you can build a fire in there and then obviously on top of that there's a spot where you can just like fry things like you would normally but then that will also heat the oven and so you can it's a dual purpose i'm like oh the best of both worlds i try not to have stove envy it's teenager i didn't care anything about it now i'm like mom that stove is so cool Um, but the reason I bring this up is because we do heat with a wood stove. So usually we don't usually start building fighters until September. And then it just depends on the weather And May is usually when we quit for the most part. So we're not doing the summer, but my wood stove, I mean, it has a flat surface for me that I can on top of it, put, you know, a couple of cast iron frying pans. And so I can fry on it or put like my Dutch oven on it and do soups and stews and that type of a thing. And when we have extended power outages, I've even like heated food up that we already did have cooked. And so then I just use that to heat the food back up. So I've done that. But with just a regular wood stove, I don't really bake on it. Do you have any tips for actually like baking your bread on like a flat top of the wood stove? Or do you need, I'm just curious if you found a way to make that work. Okay, good. For baking bread, bread is a little harder because it's a little more sensitive, but I don't even do the baking of the bread in the regular oven like my husband does that. But I make a mean pumpkin pie or cookies, and I'm sure you probably could bake bread, but the the tip is to like kind of build like an oven almost on top. So we'll take like an old um, enamel pan that we usually use for like heating water and flip it upside down and then put like a trisket. And we have like different height triscuits, like some that are closer to the ground and then one that's maybe like two inches off the ground. And it kind of makes like a little makeshift oven on top of the wood stove. And then depending on like one thing I talk about a lot, like when we go get firewood is like, it's always nice to have like different kinds of firewood, like larch will build a really hot fire. Lodgepole pine will get really hot really quick and then cool off. So depending on what you're cooking is going to kind of depend on what kind of wood you're going to put in there or like a fur will last a really long time. So we always like to like kind of have like different types of firewood that so you can have more regulation on the wood stove temperature itself. Like if you need it to be super hot for a super long time or you want it to get hot enough, you know, like if you were boiling a pot of rice or noodles or something, and then you want it to cool down without like, our house is like, it's funny that your, your story had a lot to do with the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, because my story came from the Laura, the TV show. And I always wanted to be Carolyn Ingalls living in the mountains, which my house is just a little bit bigger than her cabin. All right. Maybe it's almost twice the size, but it's still a very small house. Like the kitchen's right next to the living room and the wood stove takes up most of the house. And I spend more time in the winter in a tank top than I do even in the summer (laughs) in my house. Even I'm just like, I'm just sweating. And anyway, but yeah, to regulate the stove, that will make a big difference on what you're cooking. Okay. I love, I love that tip because yeah, we have the wood stove that we have now, which is great is I can obviously, you know, bring it hotter or shut it down by there's two drafts. There's one that brings air from underneath the house and then the actual chimney. And so I can manipulate those to really increase heat or damp it down. But like you said, you know, your wood, like for us, like here, um, like the maple, especially when it's good and dry, like maple gets, will, will get really hot um, and burn really fast and hot, but you don't always want that. And I've noticed, you know, with cooking with the wood stove, I definitely, I feel like kind of with anything like that, like after you've burnt enough fires in there and you get used to it, like every stove, like, cause we've always had wood heat. Even when I was growing up, my parents had a, a wood stove 
and then my husband and I've had a wood stove even prior to the house we're in now. So, but each one is like a little bit different on like how you have to work the drafts and everything like that. And I am so excited to t- try your trip because I have used um, like the different trivets and the different things to lift my pot up or my pan up off the top of the stove if, if I'd gotten the temperature too hot. So I had that airflow, but I don't know why. And I cook in Dutch ovens outside, well, inside too, but in Dutch ovens outside, like actually using coals, like on top of the lid, like the, the spider and the legged Dutch ovens. Um, and that way, but I never could figure out like inside the house. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to take burning coals inside my house and put them on top of my Dutch oven, on top of the wood stove. And the inside of our stove is not really big enough for me to actually put like our cast iron Dutch oven inside of it. But I never thought of turning upside down, duh, and trapping the air to try baking with it. I'm like, I'm so excited. Well, like, like a giant roaster will yeah. work, but you don't want to like, it's eventually it's going to get where you're not going to want to cook in it or put food in it. But like lots okay. of times I've done that, like in the turkey roaster, I'll put like the trisket in there and then put the cookies or the pie or whatever, and then just put the lid on it. And then sometimes you'll want to add like some steam or that's a good way for like baking potatoes. I mean, we cook a lot on the wood stove. Like I cook the turkey dinner on there for Thanksgiving. Like we cook a lot of stuff on there because it's hot. It's already going. And yeah, like it's, there's nothing like getting up in the morning and having like hot water for washing your hands and think, well, I guess that kind of goes along with when you don't have running water. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or nice yeah. Hot water on the stove instead of like going out to the spigot and then trying to like boil water. Like if you have hot water, cause we had a wood stove that had like a crack in the back and you couldn't really shut it down for a long time. And a lot of years, it just, it would go out in the middle of the night and then you'd have to wait to heat up your water. So (laughs) we got a new stove with a glass door last Christmas. It's just, it's been a game changer. Isn't that glass? And have a fire like last through the night. Like it's just amazing. It is. And I'm laughing because we had, when I was growing up, we always had the same wood stove and the door was like warped on it. So you couldn't really shut it tight all the way exactly, you know, like, it wasn't really totally in the back. My head. Yeah, but you couldn't shut it up tight. So you can't shut it down for the night. Like you said, it just burns out and it burns hotter because it's got that constant flow of oxygen and it burns hotter and it won't stay down. And so then in the morning it's like freezing. And that's, I grew up, you know, like my whole life with that stove until I was like 15 before my parents moved up the road from us. And so I'm like, yes. And so then my husband and I actually moved back into that trailer as newlywed. So I was back with that same stove, but hey, it kept us warm. So I'm not really complaining. But when we moved into the house we're in now, which was in 2006, we got a wood stove with a glass door that actually shut all the way. Oh my goodness. And I love it too, because it's a light source, you know, especially when you're without power, which you guys were for a long time, but we do have power outages here. And it's so nice when the power goes out in the winter, when we are burning fires, because you've got at least a little bit of a light source. And I actually, even on the nights we do have power, I like to watch, there's something about being able to watch the fire burn. I really enjoy it. I find it relaxing. Oh, it's just like, I'm so thankful because every morning I sit and drink my coffee and look at the wood stove and then the heat that comes out of it. Because I grew up in New York and when I go to visit my mom, I am always freezing. It is so much colder there. And I'm just like, oh, I miss my wood stove. Yeah. And it's a different type of heat. It's a dry heat. But it's very, yeah, it's very where I feel like there's nothing that really compares to wood heat, honestly. And I'm probably totally biased because I did grow up that way. <laughs> and I have well, it I now. I grow up that way. And I totally agree. I can't imagine ever living without a wood stove again. Yeah, I think it's great. Okay, those have been some excellent tips. And I am super excited to start playing with them and baking. Oh, my goodness. I'm assuming when you're trapping it, though, I know heat rises. I'm probably going to sound dumb asking you, but I'm just going to ask you. So when you're putting the, the inside and you're elevating the things up, now the bottom of it, the higher up you have it away from the top of the wood stove, typically I do that to lower the temperature so I don't scorch something on the bottom like when I'm doing super stews or something like that. But because you're trapping the heat, is it still the same thing so that you don't burn the bottom, but you're getting it closer to the top where the heat has risen and is trapped underneath the roaster or whatever you have yes, turned upside exactly, down? Exactly, exactly. Okay. okay. So that's why it's good to have different levels and maybe you want to start at the lower level and then lift it up a little as they cook and you want to make sure, yeah, that it gets around there. It kind of, I guess it's maybe like the convection oven type of like where it's getting, the heat's getting all around the whole 
whatever you're baking your, around your entire pan. Cause you don't want to like that can like, you don't want something that's so snug that there's no sides. Like you want to have a good two inches around each side. I would say at least. Okay. So that air can circulate. Okay, good. Okay. I'm so excited. I keep saying that, but like, you have no idea. I'm so super excited to try that. <laughs> I, I can't believe like when you said it, I'm like, well, duh, like how did I not think of that? But I didn't think of it. So I and I've even looked at like those, boxes that they have i've seen them on sale online in different places that actually like go kind of like around the chimney and it's like this baking box thing but you have to you know you have to obviously buy it or figure out how to weld it i suppose if you're a fabricator so i've seen where you can purchase them online and they're like a metal box that people attach to the chimney basically and it's like a baker's box and you can put like your loaves of bread in there and that type of thing and if you are a fabricator then obviously you know you could probably weld it and get the metal and, and put it on and everything yourself and i've looked at them I've even shown my husband them in magazines i'm like this is kind of really cool because when our power goes out which we lose power it really varies in the winter months a lot more and we'll go anywhere from like 24 to a week one time we were without power for two weeks and so I can't I, you believe know, you lose your power that often. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it's, um, we live rurally and we have a lot of trees around here and most of the power lines are not underneath the road. I mean, they're underground. The, most of them are up. And so in the summer we'll lose it occasionally, but a lot of time, like when the windstorms and stuff come through or we get like the heavy snow and then it warms up. And so that snow gets super heavy because then it gets oh, wet. Right, right. right. So we'll lose our power. But because we're so rural, we're like the last pocket, which I totally understand. Our power gets fixed the very last because we're the least amount of customers. We're the, you know, Got it. from when the power company's point of view, which I understand. And so anyway, so it's just like if a big storm comes through and all these other areas lose power, we're just like last on the priority list. So... <laughs> So we, you know, go with, we do have a generator to run um, like the house freezer and our refrigerator because they are not on propane. We don't have any propane. It is all electric. Um, and then we just this year, which I'm actually super excited about. The power hasn't went off for me to test it yet, but we got a generator that will power our well because that was the biggest thing when for us when the power would go out. And I'm kind of like you, I'm like, you know, not having hot water, it's a minor inconvenience. It's not really that big of a deal but not having any running water. And we keep like an emergency supply. And if I know like a storm is coming, we'll fill up all of the bathtubs with water so we can flush the toilets and, you know, have water for washing and that type of thing. And I'll fill up all my extra containers and sometimes I'll can water so that we've got just water sealed on the shelf. Um, so we do have backup emergency water supplies, but after so many days, you really go through that. And so our, our biggest thing was not having any running water. Um, I don't, didn't care so much, like I said, about it being hot. So, but I'm very excited because we finally were able, we've saved up for years and have been able to purchase a generator that will actually run my well. Now it's not big enough to run my hot water tank and I don't care, but I'm like, I'm going to have running water when the power's out. So I'm so excited. We just got it. <laughs> I can totally relate like on so many levels, like waiting for years. Like I said, we waited two years with the hole in the ground just to get it hooked up. And then even still, it's still not hooked up to the house, but at least there's a spigot right outside the house. And like in the summertime, we can hook them together with hoses. And so then the new well can be in the house and we can have tons of pressure. And like I can run my washing machine. Like right now I can't run my washing machine because my old well is hooked up. So I'm back to the laundromat, but you do what you do. Like I just feel so blessed to live where I get to live. I mean, it's just beautiful. Today is like one of the top 10 days of the year. It's just amazing. And I'm just really thankful about that. And then that my husband does grow so much food and like he built our house. Like he grew up on, there were like, their parents had 1200 acres and we have the last 20 acres and he like cut the trees down, like milled the wood or had the wood mill, like built the house. And it's just been really slow. Like when I moved in here, we didn't even have insulation in all the rooms. Um, it's just been a really gradual journey. Wow. Okay. So when you guys did first move there, which I know you said was 25 years ago. So was that just like when you got married? So well, then that's you moved when, there because yeah. it was family like property? or since He's been here. They bought that house. He moved up here from Colorado in the 60s. And then he bought his land in 1982 because his dad, for whatever reason, made them buy their land from him, mm -hmm. um, each of his four brothers. And then 
we got married in 1993. So I've been here since then. Okay. So then we like the shell and we've just slowly added on over the years. Gotcha. Okay. So it was the warning water in it in 2000, right? Like it was just so funny because it was just the millennium. And like, we went from like not having running water and not having power to like having computers and having cell phones and having a satellite (laughs) dish and like everything like came in all within 12 months. Gotcha. Okay. So it was pretty much raw land then when he first got there. So you guys have developed it. And like his mini farm, like I think some of the pictures I sent you of like where you can see where he like cut down the forest and like leveled it and turned it into a like a super productive garden. And like, like I said, I call it like the mini farm, but but see, this is where like we struggle, like he struggles to grow enough food for us. And then like eventually we would love to be like market farmers and be able to like, or maybe like be seed farmers or like just being able to grow like, you know, or have animals like where we could grow enough chicken food for our chickens or like wheat. And like Mike would like to like grow our own wheat for our bread and just like, I don't know. It just seems Every year we get closer, but yet it still seems overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think that's like with, with us homesteaders, like we have so many dreams and goals because we're not just gardeners and we're not just, you know, self-sufficient, like living without power or running water, figuring out ways to cook on your wood stove and not just cooking on a regular electric or propane stove and learning how to grow as much as possible to sustain your needs, like, you know, herb stuff to make your own soaps and salves. Like we've got so many different facets to this lifestyle and so many things that we want to do because we really want to do it all. I mean, like homesteaders are, oh my, like we're go-getters, like we are big dreamers. And so it is easy to kind of feel overwhelmed sometimes and to often be like, man, there's still so much I want to do. But just like with your guys' story, and I think everybody's story, if you do look back, like, look how far you guys have came from when you first started. Yeah. Like, so many things. Like, we've, I look back at lists, like, I'm a big journaler. And, like, when I look back at things that I'm like, oh, my God, I can't imagine us ever having this. And, like, now we've had it for so long. It just seems natural. But, like, I remember for so long we dreamed about digging that deep well. Like, and then the, and even the first well, the shallow well, just have water on the property and not constantly be like trying to find sources of people that would like let us fill our five gallon buckets of water. And then when you're living off of five gallon buckets of water, you're really thrifty. Now, this is a tip I can give people who aren't big on weeds. Like one of the benefits to hauling water to grow, which we would start with just like really small beds. Like we started with two, I think like four by eight type of beds. And Mike would build like these little chicken wire tents and then he would cover them with like plastic in the cooler months. But when you're hauling your water, you're not going to get weeds because the only water that you're hauling is going directly to the roots of the plants. And like now that like he has a sprinkler that goes around in the mini farm and stuff and there's just more water there. I see like the number of weeds has increased. Like I'm like, I don't even know how he keeps up with all the weeds because he does it all with them. like a little claw tool, like that little three um, oh, yeah. prong type of, um, and he weeds that whole giant acre by hand. But I think some of his secrets are like, he stays really on top of it. Um, and also just like mulching, like he does a ton of mulching. So once he gets it done and gets those first weeds out, but um, also like, but it, in the old days, like just not being able to water weeds was huge. Like all the water went to the plant and they would still get, you know, really good. And we would get a lot of produce out of them. But that's just like been a secret. I know I've talked about a lot on my show that people are surprised about. Yeah. Isn't that funny? But yeah, it is true. And I love how you look back at things that were an inconvenience, but you're like, oh man, but there was this highlight, like there was this good part of it. And yeah, if the weeds don't have water, then they have a harder time growing. That's that is actually very true. And I, I'm with you. I like to use soaker hoses in the garden now instead of that overhead sprinkler because you can direct spot the water um, so well to the base of the plant like, and it's just going to the roots. Um, and it, that does help for sure. I think so too. We've noticed that as well. It does help with the weeds not growing as much because they just don't have the water and the nutrients. So you guys started out with just a couple of beds, but you, you guys have increased the amount of food that you're growing there, right? Yeah. Like 
I think the first year Mike planted the mini farm, which would have been, I think, 2014, 2015, maybe, he grew like four times as much food as we had ever grown all like in the first 20 years. And then the next year, it was like 10 times that. Like it's just been exponential ever since we put the water in and just, and then different secrets that we've learned. And then like for my podcast, I have learned a ton. Like when I first started my podcast, I could barely keep a geranium or like I always had a basil plant on my windowsill and I could pretty much keep that alive most of the time. But like I couldn't really grow anything like lettuce or, and like since I've had my podcast, I've learned so many cool tips. And then I am a teacher by trade and I would teach, I taught on this Indian reservation on the other side of the Rocky Mountains. And so my unintentional claim to fame is crossing the continental divide like over 400 times. Like I'm oh, wow. not joking. Like I seriously, cause I would go over there and stay there during the week and come home on the weekends. And when I was over there, I had a class pet that was a guinea pig. And so Mike built me like these little mini beds so we could grow lettuce for the guinea pig in the classroom, which he ate just a ton of. But I really realized like I had an emergency at the end of the year and I had to have a sub in my room for three days and it was like right before a weekend. And so the plants went for five days. And when I came back, everything was dead. And that really made me feel like, and we had a worm bin in the classroom and the worm bin survived, but the lettuce all died and everything. It just made me feel like, wow, I really have learned a ton and I am able to keep this lettuce growing. And then the next year I went back over there and I stayed in this apartment and I still had like the cutest little herb garden and like the arugula I grew in this little makeshift bed Mike made out of like, I want to say it was like out of a a piece of gutter and he just kind of taped up both ends or put some kind of ending thing on it. But that arugula just gave me so much flavor on my sandwiches and just just that little bit of fresh green just could make like I'm sitting in this like freezing cold you know snow crazy apartment in the middle of um you know nowhere in Montana like very like where if you go to the store like vegetables are going to be like twice the prices anywhere else because you're living in Montana in a very rural area and just to have those little fresh vegetables just in fresh herbs and things to just like spice up or like a basil leaf to spice up a sandwich or put on a piece of pizza or you know on eggs or anything like i just i just love stuff like that yeah it is amazing the flavor difference on homegrown i think more people would eat vegetables if they had homegrown varieties so that oh they yeah actually... and kids do too like my yeah. students when we grow those purple tongue dragon beans like they ask me for those all the time. And so I bring them in in September and at the end of August or in September when they first, when school first starts. And then they're like, you know, they'll be like in the middle of Christmas or January, they'll be like, hey, why don't you bring in some more of those purple green beans and purple beans anymore? And I'm like, well, they're gone now. Yeah. <laughs> it's I- funny what kids don't know anymore, but they do love to eat like fresh grown stuff. And when they grow it themselves, and you know what else I was going to say when we were talking was, um, like kids do love to be in the garden, but I have had so many of my guests say that like when their parents were, I usually ask a question about like, what was your very first gardening experience? And a lot of them will say like, I was with my parents, I was with my grandparents and I hated it and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But now as they've grown up as adults, they love it and they treasure that time that their parents and grandparents. So I always try to tell people like, even if you're facing resistance, just share your passion get them to like, just even if they're just hanging out there and they don't want to do any work, just like you'd be surprised at how you're influencing that next generation. Oh, I totally agree. And I can't say like, I loved it as a kid. I mean, it was something that we just, that you did, like it wasn't an option when it was time to plant the garden, you were out there helping, you know, plant it and you were helping weed it and you were helping harvest it, like all the things like, you know, I, there, like I said, there was no option. We did it. And I can't say like when mom's like, you need to go read, you know, weed the row of the beans that I necessarily was like, oh, yay, you know, but you just always went out. It was just one thing you did. But it is so funny because even my own kids now, I'm like, okay, well, if you want to go do X, Y, Z, you're during the summer months, most of the time, you know, this is your chore. You each have to weed this section for today or whatnot. And of course, I'm going to get some grumbling. But then it's funny because if we're in a conversation somewhere talking about gardening with people, like they actually you could just see this change and then they like start talking about it and they're like, well, we do. And I'm like, oh, they were listening. So you're right. It, even <laughs> if they're pushing at you, just, just keep doing it. It's, it's really, yeah, it's so worthwhile and so good. So 
I'm really glad that you brought that point up. Yeah. Um, So what, because you went for like feeling like you could barely keep a geranium alive, which I love. Um, I love to see, see the growth there. Uh, What would you feel like are your, the best tips that you, that you got that really helped you go from there to where you guys are now? Well, the number one theme on my show is definitely healthy soil, like, you know, preparing your soil. And like one of the things I did not last summer, because I ended up working full time last summer, like more than I needed to. But the summer before I got to be home and I planted my first cover crops. And that was so fun. And there's a great book. It's called um, I forget what it's called, but it's by this girl, Anna Hess, H-E-S-S. And it's like you miss the homegrown I don't know. I call it the primer. I'll send you the link you can put in the show notes, but it is just, she just talks about her favorite cover crops to grow. And then, um, and that's where my pruners came in because I would have to be like, cause I planted buckwheat and then, um, like when you chop and drop it, I'm like cutting the flowers just when they're so pretty and they're so blooming and it was so hard to do. And I would just like sing this mantra over to myself over and over again. I'm feeding the soil. I'm feeding the soil. I'm feeding the soil. And so, one of the biggest tips I would say is, um, you know, just start with your soil. Like everything kind of comes from like what you're, you're going to get your most nutrient dense um, vegetables from starting with healthy soil, but also kind of goes along with like, even if you just want a healthy landscape, like maybe you're too busy to vegetable garden or, you know, you live right near a farmer's market where you have access to really quality food, but you want to have you know, a really nice, healthy landscape. Like when I go to my mom's, I go crazy where there's all those little yellow flags all over her neighborhood where that says sprayed toxic chemicals here. Don't walk here for 24 hours. And so the number one question I get on my show is what do I do about an organic lawn? And it's basically the same principles. Feed that soil and plant clover. Like when I'm at my mom's, I'm like, you guys all need, you have all these little spots where your crab grass or quack grass isn't like doing well in this climate, plant some clover there. Like clover is huge for mixing in with your lawn and like going with native plants. And I think that's been a big success for us is like trying to find things that work really well in our climate. Like you were saying, like find those varieties that work well. Like Mike got some corn seeds, I want to say from this guy, Tom, um, not Tom, Bill McCormick, who went to like Russia and collected all these seeds from Siberia. And, um, he started a business called is it seeds trust but now i now it's um it's rocky mountain rocky mountain seed savers i think but um yeah he brought all these seeds back and then we got those corn seeds and then mike saved those corn seeds and so now we have seeds that are more acclimated and so he has more success with those seeds so that's another thing it's like finding local seeds and then Another tip I talk about a lot is just like thinking about time because I think a lot of people think, oh, all the work's in the beginning of the season, in the spring and and that. But to me, the toughest part is getting through August when all your weeds are coming up and all yeah. your produce is coming on and you're tired and you're hot and you, yeah, watering is great. Like it's really nice to stand there and water, but like there was one summer where I had to water for like 90 minutes, like because we have such a little amount of water, like we have the hose would do like a circle that's like three feet round in circumference. And I would just have to like move that. My alarm would go off like every six minutes and I would move it and move it. And so we've just learned so many things about like watering and how to, because that can make another big difference. Like our orchard, I think would produce way more. Like we have, I don't know, 14 fruit trees, like mostly apple trees, but some plums and some two pear trees. And I feel like one of the reasons we, even though we do get a lot of produce, like definitely starting with fruit is really nice. I wish we would have put fruit trees in sooner. Like Mike mm-hmm. kept talking about, we need to put fruit trees in. But I, I think like we struggle with the water piece to keep those watered in our dry Montana climate. Yeah. So is the winter months, you guys get probably a lot of snowfall, but then it's the summer months that you have dry or are you dry, just more dry and cold? like all year or where you guys are at specifically? Yeah, it depends on the year. It's definitely a drier climate. It's definitely cold. We can get really hard freezes in the winter. And then how much snow we get just is like last year, 
I think we got like the first snows, like the beginning of March. Like we just got a ton of snow in March. It was the craziest year ever. And I think like, I think as our climates are changing and doing different things, like learning how to adjust to those new climates is a big part of the challenge. Like things that worked for Mike 20 years ago when we were first starting don't always work today because of the weather. And, and we had a really tough, like last year was one of, last summer was one of his least productive summers just because one, we had that really bad snow and just like, it was tough to get the stuff in the garden in the spring, but also we just happened to be remodeling our house at the same time. And like, between the people coming and what he had to do, it just like it was just really hard for him to get a lot of stuff into the garden at the same time. So that was a big challenge. But um, yeah, it's it's cold. Like one thing that surprised me, like, and I know you talk about this a lot in your show, is like collecting data. And so I went back through, like, I have you know garden journals from all our years. They're not the most detailed, and usually it starts out really strong in September. So I have like all of his first planting dates. And I was surprised out of 20 years, most of what he starts, he puts in between April 7th and April 14th. Like there was one year, I think, or two where he planted things like outdoors, like things that you put right in the ground, like broccoli, lettuce, stuff that can go directly in the ground, carrots, things like spinach, things like cool weather crops. Yeah. He would plant like those first two weeks in April. And I was really surprised about that after all the data. I thought the dates were going to be all over the place, but pretty much that was what it came down to. And then our season's so short, you kind of have to like get everything in as soon as you possibly can. And then it kind of like, it all kind of like comes on a lot at the same time. Like I also find if I want my sunflowers to go to seed, I have to get them in by April by Earth Day. Um, Mike's always surprised. He's like, that seems early. Are you sure you can put sunflowers in? But I know that if I plant them on Earth Day, if I don't get them in the ground, then they're maybe going to bloom, but they're probably not going to go to seed for me. And so we have to deal with that season. Like you might get certain things to grow, but you're not going to get your harvest if you don't get it in the ground by a certain date. And then our first frost is usually about right after mem- Memorial, like the first week of July or the second um, of June, the first or second week of June. So that's when you can start putting like green beans in and so okay, things that are um, that you know are gonna freeze. That won't freeze. Yeah, right? yeah. Things okay, that, things that can't take a frost. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, you know, and what's so interesting as you were listening to that talk is I'm like having that data, which you won't have unless obviously you record it and and you write it down, and also that you're gardening so that that you know it. Um, but it is it is so important because. We can look at things on the, you know, we can look at things on the internet or different resources that say, well, for your location, this should be your whatever date or the time that you would plant. Like we've got those general guidelines, but there's just nothing like having your own data and you're not going to have that until you're actually doing it in your exact microclimate in your exact zone, you know, like everything, like right on your own property. So that's really interesting that it's all like, and that it has been year after year after year, like right in that little week. But that's so good because now you guys know like, hey, we need to get these crops. So we need to have everything ready to go. And you can kind of plan, you know, your schedule and everything around these dates, knowing that this is when we've got to get this stuff in. Exactly. And, it, and it's true. It's amazing. Like my friend who lives just um, eight miles north of me that lives in town she's like three weeks ahead of us on the growing season and then people that are just you know like 15 miles south of us are three weeks on the other side of the growing season so like we always, we can kind of guide us by her weather like she'll have like her bulbs will be coming up or her gladioles will be blooming or something and so we'll know like two or three weeks from now ours are going to start to bloom yeah and I just, that's so great. When you were talking about the snowstorm in March, because we're in Washington and I'm laughing because we got that huge snowstorm in March too. And then I have a friend in Idaho who gardens as well. And so I told her, I'm like, okay, we're like getting bombarded with snow today. And like in a day or two, it's going to hit you. And it did. And then it was probably another day or two before it hit you. So it's been really interesting. Like she'll actually ask me like, Hey, what's your weather? Like, is it clear and sunny there now? If she's got something planned for a few days out, (laughs) because it's just, it's so amazing. And I mean, we've got, you know, the technology so that we can, you know, connect with one another all over the country, but it is really, it's really cool actually to see how that, and, and I'm like you, like where, 
where we live, if you go like 30 miles down, you know, about half an hour away from us down the mountain, we say down below, but because you're going lower elevation, like their fruit trees in the springtime, they bloom at least three weeks before ours. Um, but you, it kind of lets you know, it's like, okay, you know, in like two or three weeks, everything's going to start blooming. So if there's something I didn't get pruned, like I got to get a move on, you know, I'm like running really late. So yeah, it's just fascinating though, because too, once you're a gardener and you start paying attention to your own stuff, then, you know, you start noticing it like in all these other areas. And like when you visit and when you travel, I feel like you, you take in things that you normally wouldn't have before. Totally. Those were some awesome tips. I love all of those that you shared. So is there like anything else that you're like, man, this was like something that we really learned that was like so important that you want to share with anybody? So soil health is the biggest thing, I think. And then like, well, one other thing that I feel like is just um, for my case, because I, I usually have a full-time job, if not more than that, and then I'm gone a lot, is that, you know, working with perennials that come back, like, I just, I just love being able to um, put something in the ground and it's just going to keep growing for years. Like, my sage plant got so huge. And like, I'm really big on herbs. So I always recommend to people that are starting gardening to like start with herbs i think they're the best place to start and they're good for you know bringing in beneficial insects and they're good for you know the bees like them and just um and they're easy like usually you can put them in the ground and they'll just keep coming back for years after that with very little care which is right up my alley because like there'll be days in the summer where like like the summer i was working in a restaurant and so i'm gone at least eight hours a day while i'm working and then it was an hour each way to drive and then you know if you go to the store i come home and i'm like just lucky if i can like have still have the energy to make dinner so going to the garden so just trying to find things that are simple and being realistic about how much time you're going to spend and then again, like I said, like I think August is the time because if I put too much stuff in in the spring, then I get overwhelmed at the end of the year. So I would say that's one big tip I have. Like for me that I have to control myself is don't go crazy like at the nursery. Like I have like an addiction to buying seeds. Like even if I order them online, then I'm always standing in the grocery store, like buying more seeds and buying more seeds. And I'm always like, Mike, can we plant these? And he's like, no, you can't plant those. Those need like three months to grow and it's already like the <laughs> middle of July. And I'm like, oh, but wouldn't cucumbers be so good or wouldn't squash be so good and just, or whatever it is that I'm like, oh, but this looks so good. Can't we plant it? And he's like, next year. <laughs> I love it. You always have to have the one person in a gardening relationship that is like, you know, that kind of takes, takes you back a little bit when you're like ready to go overboard. And that's usually my husband where I'm like you, I'm like, but I want it all. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think gardeners like, like we should just like seed catalogs and seed packets. Like we just all have a little bit of an addiction with them. And we know that we've all got like that secret stash where we bought like way too many and, and didn't put them in. So. And then the other thing is, and on the flip side, like then I'm still like wishing I bought more arugula seeds because arugula is like one of my favorite foods and it's easy to grow and you can eat it like all different you know, like you can eat it when it's really tiny or can eat it when it gets bigger and just, um, I'm out of arugula seeds again. And they're, you know, you don't see arugula seeds in just the store anywhere. And so I think that's important, like growing what you really want to eat. Yes. I always end up having like tons of stuff that I am not as big of a fan of that, but, and then wishing that I had more of what I do want. But one thing I am really good about is at the end of the year being like, I want more of this next year, or I want more of that next year. And then the next year, at least trying to get those things in. Yeah, I think that's really good. And too, I noticed like, even like as an adult, that my, what I like to eat has kind of changed and evolved even like over the past five years. So I love beets, like oh my goodness, beets are like one of my favorite things ever now. And so I have to keep increasing the amount of beets that I plant because I eat way more of them than I ever used to. And so- Are you growing golden beets too? No, do I need to? Oh my gosh, really? You're not? Oh yes, you absolutely have to grow some golden beets. (laughs) My thing about beets is those beets and then in the winter, 
I don't put tomatoes on my salad and I just open up one of his cans of pickled beets. And that's like my red. Yes. Like yeah. I love to have different colors of food and I love to have beets on a salad. Okay. And so I have to, I, I got to ask you on the golden beets real quick. Oh yeah, sure. Do you, do, I don't even know if I have eight golden beets. Like I know this sounds ridiculous, but do they have a different flavor or why, what, how do you like, what do you like them better than the, you know, traditional dark? Yes, they are like the kind of thing that you can eat. I call them like lollipops almost. Like you just cook them and and roasted golden beets with goat cheese and just, they're just a little bit sweeter. I don't know. I I just know, I love beets. I'm like a vegetable. Like I struggle to eat fruit, but I love vegetables. So I love regular beets, but golden beets, I don't know. There's just something about them that, I mean, I love regular beets, so it's hard to say that they taste different, but I know a lot of people love them. Like Mike could sell as many golden beets as he possibly could. We have one lady who's always like, do you have any golden beets? Can I get some beets? And she'll take as many as he'll grow. Um, But yeah, they're just, I don't know. They're the kind of thing that you don't have to put anything on. Maybe a little salt and pepper. I like, one of the big tips I learned, I talked to... um, Oh, is it Susie? Sally Fallon from the um, Weston A. Price Foundation. And yeah. she's telling me that when you eat vegetables, if you don't put like a healthy fat with them, you're not, your body's not going to absorb the minerals from those vegetables as much as like if you just eat them. Like after years of growing up and just only putting salt and pepper, because I always thought butter was really bad for me and I didn't want to use margarine. And just she was like, no, you need some kind of. So that was one big tip I learned. But golden beets, you don't really even need to put butter on them, but it kind of, it almost like enhances the taste. And since it is good for you, I guess that's a tip that I learned. Okay. I love that. And I'm, yeah, I'm like bring on the butter. Everything has real grass fed butter on it. We love butter. <laughs> so is my mom's like that too. And so is me. Yeah, I like, love it. I don't know why. Like I would, you know, I guess just because I was an 80s girl that like I, we just, you know, there was so much like don't eat butter, don't eat butter. And then I, but I had no idea that you couldn't, you wouldn't even like your body wouldn't even absorb the minerals from the vegetables as well as if you're not putting a healthy fat on there. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing because the, the fat, like our brains, our bodies yes. need, and, yes. and it's the quality of the fat. It's not just any fat, which I know we're talking about healthy fats, but it's those omega threes. It's the grass fed. Mm-hmm. It's all of those. But yeah, in fact, um, I don't know the study source, which I, I hate to say things without having like a source to back it up. I can't remember, but there was, I was listening to a podcast or reading somewhere um, that they think that we've had this increase of Alzheimer's and dementia. We've had an increase of a lot of things within health and modern society in the past few decades. But, um, but they are one, they're thinking that there's a correlation with all of the low fat craze that went on in the eighties and even into the nineties as well, really in early two thousands. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that the reason that we're seeing an increase of that is because people weren't getting enough of the good fats and the good fats like grass fed butter and you know, those things not, margarine and canola and all those type of things um we weren't consuming them as a modern society right they were like you know lard and that type of thing was all kind of demonized really and a new one that people keep talking about is hemp seed oil i mean it's not new but they're saying that like like one thing my husband's seen a lot of studies about is like it used to be such a big part of animal feed and then when people are eating the animals they're not getting the Mm omega-3s that the animals would eat the hemp seeds. Yeah, that's an awesome tip. So I love that tip. I know it was a little bit off of a, a it was like side note squirrel, but I think it's, it was really good to talk about that one. So, well, yeah, but, if you're going to grow some golden beets, you're going to want to have some of that with them. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to put some in this year. I'll let you know my, my uh, thoughts when, once I've got them, it's going to be a little bit till spring till I can put them in. But um, so where can listeners like, you know, connect with you guys and find out more about what you're doing and, you know, gardening resources and that type of thing. Yeah. Well, our website is just organicgardenerpodcast.com and I'm on Facebook. We have a Facebook group and um, I'm on Instagram, although I don't post as much on it. And I think I'm on Twitter, but I can't remember the last time I went on Twitter. Um, but just at organic, I think it's organic G podcast or organic gardener podcast is pretty much our candle. And so, um, and then the podcast, of course, is on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And just, um, again, 
I can brag about my podcast, Soul and Blue in the Face, because my guests are amazing and they've taught us so much. I'm so glad, Melissa, you're finally a guest too. And I can't wait to release your episode and just thank you so much for sharing with my story. But thank you so much for all you do because every time I listen to your show, I learn so much and I'm inspired. And I love that you're teaching other people. I just think it's so important. I love podcasting as much as you do. And Oh, thank you. Yeah, podcast, I feel like people like who listen to podcasts, like we're like this special like special group. Like we're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe like when I talk to people who are like, what's a podcast? Or like, oh, I, I maybe listen to one once or twice. I'm like, what? I'm like, I listen to a podcast every single day. Like I really can't hardly clean oh, me house too. or drive. Like if I have to, you know, drive to take the kids to school or or go on an errand or something, like I don't ever listen to the radio at all anymore. I'm totally digging into a podcast. So yeah, I feel like podcast listeners like we've got like this secret like weapon in our in our pocket like and it's such so a great much. way to connect with people and like i've met so many people that live near me through my podcast and then we actually meet in person and i just i just love that part about it yeah i think that's awesome so yeah guys so definitely want to check out the podcast the organic gardeners podcast with Jackie. Um, there's, yeah, she's got a lot of great episodes and some really awesome guests. And I didn't know you'd had Sally Fallon on. That is so cool. Um, her book, nourishing traditions, I think had a huge impact. Yeah. On our, so many people's diets and the Western price foundation as well, um, on, you know, nutrition and everything like that. So anyways, very cool. So we'll have a link in the blog post that goes with this episode, the show notes, so you guys can connect more and find out more about Jackie and learn from her as well. So thanks so much for coming on. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you all you listeners for listening and learning how to do these things and teaching your kids too. So amen. I hope that you guys enjoyed that chat with Jackie as much as I did. And if you try her baking tips on the wood stove, I want you to take a picture and make sure that you tag and share it with me so I can see your amazing wood stove cooking. And in today's blog post that accompanies this episode, which you can get at melissaknorris.com forward slash 221. So just the number 221, because this is episode number 221. I will have all the links to the different things that we talked about and the resources so that you can go and check them out. And if you enjoyed the gardening aspect of this and you are planning on growing your own food this year, you want to go and get your hands on and pre-order my brand new book, The Family Garden Plan, Grow a Year's Worth of Sustainable and Healthy Food. You guys, the pre-order bonuses I have for it are crazy amazing. And you get access, instant access to them right now. You don't even have to wait until the book ships if you go and pre-order at familygardenplan.com. Now for our verse of the week, we are going to be in Luke chapter 16, verse number 10. And this is the amplified translation of the Bible. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is dishonest and unjust in a very little thing is dishonest and unjust also in much. And I love this verse for a couple of reasons. One, it reminds us that even the little things, or especially the little things, definitely matter. Oftentimes in life, we can get frustrated with the little things or think that those little things don't matter, but it's those little things that usually add up to be the big things in our life. Because in retrospect to talking about gardening, if we hadn't started with the little things, our first garden, small gardens, our first fruit tree, our first year of growing our own food, and hadn't remained faithful to that, then it would never grow. And then we wouldn't be rewarded with years down the road, being able to produce all of our own meat and over 55% of our own fruits and vegetables. So it's, it's being faithful in those little things, not just in regards to gardening into that homesteading way of life, also spiritually wise too, doing what's right when maybe nobody is looking, but we know if it was right or not. Being faithful in those little things in all areas, spiritual, homesteading, finances, all the things, health, fitness, you name it, 
if we're faithful in the little things, it pays off and becomes that big thing. So it was a, you may have needed to hear this reminder today. I needed to hear this reminder today. And so I thought that it was a very good and applicable verse to share with you. And as a reminder to everybody to be faithful in the little thing. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the podcast. If you're not subscribed, whatever app you're listening to, make sure that you hit subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And thank you for spending your time with me. I will be back here with you next week on Wednesday. Until then, have fun with the little things. Mm -hmm.